is In The Movement, a weekly radio segment and podcast series from WTUL New Orleans News and Views show. You can now find us on iTunes and on Facebook slash In The Movement NOLA. Each week we interview social justice organizers in the city to learn about the organizations they work with, their current campaigns and upcoming events, helping to inform listeners of the kinds of locally rooted activism taking place in our city. I'm your host, Theo Hilton. This week, we speak with Sade Dumas, director of the Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition. We'll hear about the OPPRC's recent campaigns, the significance of the number 1438, and current efforts to close the Orleans Parish Prison's temporary detention center. Here we go. Okay, we're here with Sade Dumas, director of the Orleans Parish Prison Reform Coalition. Welcome, Sade. Thanks for having me. Hi. Um, so, I guess, first of all, uh, I've you know, would be curious to just hear a little bit of history about your organization and how you came to be and the kind of stuff you've been involved in over the years. Yes, so the Arlene's Parish Prison Reform Coalition um, started in 2004. It was initially a group of community members who wanted to address the issues in a jail. So the issues being the conditions and the fact that um, in Arlene's Parish, we had over 6,000 people incarcerated. So community members came together to advocate for a safer and smaller jail, and that was the start of OPPRC. And then, so 2004, I guess, I mean, right before Katrina, it's kind of a, some major stuff happened with like uh, the way the OPP was hit by that, and like the way, did, do, did, did, did the organization sort of grow through advocacy at that time, or like, uh, yeah, I guess that's a question. Definitely, and and um, the community really wanted an oversight program um, mm-hmm. to really monitor the jail independently. The OPP is currently under a consent decree. Yes. What does that mean? Um, and is there, you know, with the current legal framework that we live in, is there any sort of threat to that consent decree continuing to exist? Yeah, so right now, um, we are. Um, under a federal consent decree to address the many concerns um, within the jail. So there are over 100 items that needs to come into compliance with the consent decree. As of now, that's not really happening. Just last month, um, there were deputies arrested for um, smuggling drugs into the facility for sexual misconduct with um, inmates. So that poses the question of what's happening with the leadership there how is the jail being managed and you know all of those things fall into something that the consent decree should monitor Mm -hmm. and does it like is there any sort of time update for the consent decree or is it sort of go until there's somehow some evidence that it's worked i guess yeah so um it should be there until the jail comes into compliance um also there's a compliance director right now so um the federal judge who's overseeing the jail um, appointed an outside person, so Director Gary Maynard, and he his job is to help the jail come into compliance with the consent decree. Um, so another question that I have is, you know, as I have looked through uh, information about uh, your organization, this number 1438 comes up a lot. Yes. I guess I'm curious, where does that number come from? What does it mean? And specifically, what does it mean today? Yeah, so after um, Hurricane Katrina, um, many advocates with the Arlene's Parish Prison Reform Coalition spoke with the mayor um, and different council members about the conditions and the size in the jail. Um, And the mayor put together a working group 
and they did a lot of studies to look for the jail size that would fit New Orleans. So that's where the 1438 cap came into play. Um, it's still too large for this city, mm-hmm. and there is actually a safety and justice challenge where in 2018 the jail population should go down to about 1,200 beds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something we're fighting for, the 1438 cap. Before Katrina, we had over 6,000 beds. So now with the 1438 cap, that forces different actors in the criminal justice system to rethink incarceration, to think about alternatives. And, you know, actually, a lot of people have this false reality where they believe that a larger jail is going to keep people safe, but studies show that that's not true. Mm-hmm. That since the jail size has decreased so much, there actually has not been an uptick in crime, it's been the opposite. So, mm-hmm. not only is it better to have people home, it's better for us as a city that spends about a third of the budget on public safety, it's better for us to reinvest into infrastructure that makes our community safe. So transportation, housing, healthcare, mm-hmm. a mental health facility in a community, yeah. not in the jail. Right, yeah. <laughs> so what, I mean, I guess, I mean, that sort of segues into a question that I have about about mental health facilities, which is, I mean, in OPP, is there are there some version or some claim to mental health services, or is that just totally by the wayside? Or, I mean, what's the conversation around that right now? So we definitely know from... Um, different research that the conditions in there are not great. People with mental illnesses are not being treated, um, are given the medical attention that they need. There are people under the sheriff's custody in the Hunts facility, so not in Arlene's Parish, but still under um, the Arlene's Parish um, sheriff's custody. Mm-hmm. Um, so. As far as mental health, there is a proposal to build a mental health jail that was proposed last year. Um, Initially, the recommendation was over 600 beds. OPPRC has been fighting that Mm -hmm. um, because we definitely believe that um, this is not a service that people should have to be incarcerated to receive. So with the mental health jail fight, now the recommendation is down to 89 beds, but we, we're still saying no more beds. This mm-hmm. is not something we want. Yeah. If someone is going through um, whatever situation or if they have a, an acute mental illness, which the sheriff's office never defines mm-hmm. what they consider an acute mental illness, mm-hmm. um, they should be able to access, access those resources in the city. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about the conditions in a jail, a lot of people leave that facility more traumatized than when they came in. Mm -hmm. So that's not really an environment where someone can receive rehabilitative services. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that, I mean, again, you know, as I was looking over kind of the history of your organization, it would seem like at one point, um, a little less than 10 years ago, I mean, the OPP had one of the 10 highest mortality rates of a prison in the U.S. I mean, is that you know, and I mean that seems sort of an ongoing thing. Um, and 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 like, have there been kind of any like markable improvements in conditions that are, are even of note, or that's sort of hard to even say? So earlier in 2017, there are the independent jail monitors, so mm-hmm. they report back to the federal judge, and the report actually showed that conditions are getting worse. Um, And many people have recently died in the jail. Mm -hmm. And when I say recent, I mean the the last quarter in 2017. Wow. 
including um, Evan Sullivan, who died in the temporary detention center, a building that should not even be operated right now, according to legal law, according to the law. Wow, I mean, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, there's two more things that I sort of want to ask you about, kind of generally, before getting into the particular campaigns that you're working on now. Mm -hmm. One is you were mentioning hunts, and I know, um, you know, further afield, there's sort of this history in Louisiana of like moving um, incarcerated people around uh, and sort of juggling them. Is that like still a factor in Orleans? Like, do does does Orleans Parish take um, take people who are incarcerated from other parishes or send them send them to other parishes? I mean, I guess probably so. They're definitely sending them out. Mm -hmm. um, there are also work release people being um, housed in a temporary detention center right now, so they don't really need to be there. Um, mm -hmm. So yes, that's still definitely a problem, and that's bad on the court system. A lot of people are missing court dates because they're out of town and mm -hmm. the communication is lacking. They're not actually coming on time to their court dates, and it's not their fault because they're under the custody of the sheriff's office. And what happens if, you, I mean, if you miss a court date, it just gets rescheduled for like a month later? Yeah, it really just backs up the dockets for the judges. Wow. It slows down the whole system. Wow. Yeah, it's not really working for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, I guess then the one other thing um, is, you know, um, about a year ago today, or I guess exactly a year ago, on January 12th when we were recording this, um, you had a big win. I mean, so we you talk a little bit about what that was and what, you know, so the implications of that are for now. Yeah, so the Municipal Bail Reform Ordinance that um, took place last year, and basically for municipal offenses, people are not... Um, they don't have to stay in jail for that. So if it's something like sleeping on a sidewalk or um, urinating in public, there would be a summons where that person would come to court at a later time. Mm -hmm. So this helps reduce the jail population. And um, some, you know, these offenses are really minor. And when I think about my tax dollars, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to pay for someone to be housed in a facility for a minor offense that did not threaten my public, that didn't threaten my safety. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I mean, I guess sort of another level of that in terms of thinking just like about what is possible. So I mean, if that covers kind of municipal city offenses, mm -hmm. then I mean, is there a precedent for um, for you know a, a municipality eliminating bail bonds for state or federal cases? Like, has that happened anywhere else? It has happened in many other places, and I think if it can happen there, it can definitely happen here. Well, um, I think that that sort of segues nicely into a question of what, what kind of campaigns are you working on right now? So right now, the Temporary Detention Center is being operated um, against zoning law and against the ordinance that passed in 2011 to um, cap the bed at our 1438 number. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, according to the law, um, the temporary detention center was mandated to be closed April last year. The facility was closed, but it was reopened during the summer um, uh, without going through the proper zoning process. So that zoning process would be um, an application through the city planning commission, a neighborhood participation program where the applicant would, you know, reach out to neighborhood associations and community members for input and then a hearing through the city planning commission. So none of that happened. We've done our research, our public record request, and um, that process was basically stolen from us. So there's no accountability. The democratic process was passed. Mm -hmm. um, or we didn't 
have the chance to yeah. <laughs> really go through that. So yeah, we were robbed from that. And so right now, OPPRC is fighting to close this temporary detention center. And as we see in the past, if they have the beds there, they're gonna fill it. The, the council, ha they've made great progress on you know, decreasing the size of the jail and the population, and this is something we want to continue. Mm -hmm. Um, then, I mean, I guess another question then will be, like, how, uh, you know, through these campaigns, I mean, I, I feel like I see OPPRC represented everywhere. Well, I mean, what are some ways that uh, listeners could kind of get involved or show up? Yes, yeah, so one great resource would be um, our website, so OPPRCNOLA.org, or um, calling me, 504-427-9188. So we do a lot of work around educating people about what's happening. So a lot of people don't know that there's an illegal jail being operated in the city. A lot of people also don't know that that facility has the capacity to hold 800 beds. So this kind of undermines that 1438 bed cap, and mm -hmm. we want to make sure we decarcerate the city of New Orleans and not hold people in jail um, unnecessarily. For example, a lot of people are there for nonviolent offenses and they're, they're just too poor to pay bond. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's not something we want to invest in. So um, we do a lot of work around educating the public, but also letting council members and other elected officials know how we feel and really mobilizing people who are directly impacted so they can have a voice at the table and speak about how this impacts them. Um, great. And then uh, I guess at the time that this airs, you'll have a meeting coming up. Yes. Uh, are you, I'm wondering, are, are your meetings sort of open, ac like access? Anybody can come by? or? Yes, our meetings are um, open to the public. So the next meeting um, will be on January 22nd. Um, meetings are from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. We meet at Hope House every two weeks, so the address is 916 St. Andrew Street. But once again, if you visit our website, opprcnola.org, you can definitely find that information. Great. Sari Dumas, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Take care. In the Movement is recorded and produced by Theo Hilton. The views represented on this show in no way express the position of WTUL or Tulane University. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be on the show, please look us up on Facebook at In The Movement NOLA or email thilton1 at tulane.edu. Until next time, keep moving. We'll see you in the streets.